Good morning, Grace Chapel. This morning, we stand at a crossroad, and we're overwhelmed by fear. Many of us are paralyzed, unable to move forward. We are fearful of one another. We are afraid of catching an unseen virus from someone else. And this keeps us at distance from one another. We are no longer doing the things that we as followers of Christ are supposed to do. We fear personal human contact. We are even afraid to lift up our voices together. Many of us, some of us at least, are afraid to die. Or we're afraid that we may unwittingly pass this virus on to someone we love. We are afraid because we desperately want control, but we now realize how very little we actually have, but we continue to grasp for that control time and time again, even as it continues to slip out of our hands. We stand at a crossroads. We are paralyzed, fearful. Where we are afraid to share the years of pain and heartbreak over being treated differently, harshly even, simply because of the skin tone is darker than others. Racism within the church and without the church has slowly whittled away our souls and left us as a shell of who we are meant to be as those created in the image of God. We are tired and weary from living a double life. And we grieve that the church remains silent and indifferent. We just want someone to listen, someone to cry with us, someone to walk with us. But we're afraid to share, afraid that they may not listen, that they may not understand, or at worst, that they may be indifferent or don't even care. We stand at a crossroad. We are paralyzed, fearful. See, fear of an unseen virus, fear of seeing racism, it paralyzes us as a people. And there are countless other objects of varying degree that each paralyze us. But we need to move forward. But how? How do we move forward? How do we move forward in love? How do we move forward in truth? How do we move forward in Christ? How do we move forward together? See, the world is offering us countless antidotes to our problems of fear and worry. All you need is love. All we need is governmental change. All we need is police reform. All we need is an antidote to the virus. All we need is science to come through with us. It is interesting to see how all of these companies issue their statements. When we had the coronavirus hit us at first, we got email after email after email about companies saying how they stand with and care for their customers. The cynic in me says it's all a ploy to get you to keep coming to spend money. Now we're getting email after email about how these companies stand with Black Lives Matters. And, and that's not a wrong thing, but is it really enough? When Amazon says we stand with Black Lives Matters, when gaming companies make statements, what do statements do? They say something, but are they enough? See, our world is looking for all kinds of answers. Making statements simply is not enough. It will never be enough. And as the world around us is searching for answers, the world around us burns with paralysis and fear 
and in action. See, the world is grasping for hope. The world is longing for change. Many of their longings are good. These things are not wrong. They are good, but they will prove insufficient. They won't be enough. The deeper issues, the issues of the heart, are issues that can only be answered in Christ. So how do we move forward? Brothers and sisters, we have the answers for those deeper issues. Scripture has the answers for those deeper issues. We have the word of life, the only comfort for our life and our death, the redemption of Jesus Christ. We need to remind ourselves of this truth, and we need to proclaim it to others. If we want change, it needs to begin with and end with Jesus Christ. See, we desperately as a people need a revamped perspective. We need God's perspective. We need to be reminded of what God has done for us, of what God is doing for us, and what God will do for us. We need to grasp that God, the God of heaven and earth, is for us, His people. Once we grasp that, we gain freedom. Once we grasp that, we throw off the chains of our paralysis. We discover freedom, freedom to live, freedom to not fear, freedom to be God's witnesses to the end of the earth, till the end of the ages, freedom to take the comforting and hopeful message of the gospel to a world desperate for change, but frozen by fear. This is exactly what Isaiah does for God's people. They stand at a crossroads. They are paralyzed and fearful and how desperately they need perspective. They need to hear God's words of comfort. They need to hear freedom from fear. Throughout Isaiah 40 through 66, they were reminded of what God has already done. They are reminded of what God is doing. And they are promised that God will do in the future. He has saved. He is saving. He will save. He has been with His people He is with his people, and he will be with his people forevermore. So we turn to Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 13. We'll also look at verse 25. I want us to see that God gives us two promises wrapped in a command. And then he draws out one important implication. First, he promises and then commands. He promises and commands this. Fear not, I have redeemed you. It's the first point. Fear not, I have redeemed you. The second, he says, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I am with you. And then he draws out the implication. He says, if you fear not, I have redeemed you. Fear not, I am with you. Then you must, he says, be my witnesses. You must be my witnesses. Here's the main point I want to offer us this morning. The comfort of God's redemption gives us freedom from fear. The comfort of God's redemption gives us freedom from fear. Let me read Isaiah 43, verses 1, 13, and verse 25. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
I give Egypt as you as, to you as a ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, when there is no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand, I work, and who can turn it back. And then verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The comfort of God's redemption gives us freedom from fear. See, we are not just saved into a relationship, we are actually saved. Let me say that again. We are not saved, just saved, but we are actually saved into a relationship. See, we are redeemed in order to glorify God, but also to enjoy God. We are saved into a relationship. This should give us comfort. This should grant us hope. And comfort and hope, church, eradicates fear. The comfort of God's redemption gives us freedom from fear. So the first point this morning is this, fear not, the Lord says, for I have redeemed you. The first command wrapped in a promise, look at verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. We have no need to fear because the Lord redeems his people. Redemption has been God's mission throughout history. This is what our God does. He redeems. Look at the language. He has called us by name. You are mine. This is no generic love. This is a deep, intimate, compassionate love. The Lord, the creator and sustainer of all things, has called his people by their name. He calls you and he calls me by his name, by our names. This is covenant love. This is love that declares, I am your God and you are my people. We are God's. Let that truth soak in for a moment. We are God's children. We are God's beloved. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He calls each one of us by name. 
We are chosen from before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons and daughters. All the Father gives to the Son will be redeemed. Not one will fall away, says Jesus in John 6. See, we need to remember with the psalmist and all of God's people, Psalm 78, 35, they remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, the Redeemer. This is our God, our Savior, our rock, our Redeemer. But what does it mean for the Lord to redeem His people? What is redemption? To answer that, let's take a look at verse 25. The Lord declares, I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. See, when the Lord redeems, He blots out transgressions. He remembers our sins no more. He forgives all our iniquity. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies us with good so that we are renewed. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us see this redemption becomes a reality for us because of the cross Jesus came to die he came to give his life as a ransom for many Peter reminds the people of God what Christ has done for us 1 Peter 2 24 he himself bore our sins in his body in the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. This is the gospel. This is the good news of our redemption in Christ. This is what the Lord, our Redeemer, does for his people. This is the stamp of life that God has given us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' perfect life, sacrificial death, and powerful resurrection, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. No virus, nor hatred of racism, nor any other fear we may face. Nothing. No tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. In all things, if you are in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You are not just a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you and me. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord for your fearful and weary souls. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The Lord has redeemed us, is redeeming us, and will redeem us. He has called us by name. We are his. Nothing can change this. Brothers and sisters, fear not, for the Lord is our Redeemer. Our second point is this, another command wrapped in a promise. Fear not, I am with you. Look again at verses 2 through 7. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, says the Lord. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sabah in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. 
I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Brothers and sisters, we have no need to fear because the Lord is with us. Our Lord's presence is a comfort to his people. Because the Lord has redeemed us, we are able to enjoy the comfort of his presence. See, redemption comes first, and his presence then is dependent upon our redemption. The Lord our God is with us. When we pass through the stormy waters, we will not be overwhelmed, for the Lord is with us. When we walk through the raging fires, we will not be burned, for the Lord is with us. His promise is clear. I am with you. But notice there's an assumed promise underlying all this. Did you notice it? We will walk through suffering. Now maybe it's too strong to say that the Lord here promises us that we'll walk through the stormy waters. He actually does promise that elsewhere or the raging fires, the reality is just assumed. It is assumed that life is hard, that there will be storms, there will be fires. It will happen. We can be assured of that. And we are in many ways walking through such times yet again. Don't be surprised, brothers, when fiery trials come upon you. The overwhelming point remains true, though, during these times of trial and tribulation, suffering and hardship, The Lord our God, because of his covenant love, because we are precious in his sight, because we are honored and loved by him, because he is our redeeming God, he is with us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Lord is with you right now? Do you believe that this passage is for you here and now? For those paralyzed by fear of the coronavirus, these words are for you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not, the Lord is with you. He has been, is now, and he always will be with you. To my black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ, to those fearful of a church that has remained silent for too long, these words of the Lord are for you now. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Fear not. The Lord is with you. He has been. He is now. And He always will be. Maybe something else consumes your heart right now with fear and strikes you with paralysis today. These words are for all who fear. When you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. Through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel. Your Savior. Fear not. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is with us. He has been, he is now, and he will be forevermore. If we are redeemed, if the Lord is present with us, then we have no need to fear. Remember I said there's two commands wrapped in the promises. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am your Redeemer. But there's an implication from that. The implication is this. We are God's witnesses. See, fear takes us and turns us inward. God, being the Redeemer and the person, the One, the God, the Emmanuel who is with us, that turns us outward. We are not to fear and turn inward. We are to turn outward because of what God has done for us and who He is, the fact that He is with us. See, we are to focus outwardly to proclaim. We are to be the Lord's witnesses. In verses 8-13, to he says twice to Israel, Be my witnesses. Bring out the people who are blind yet of eyes, deaf yet of ears. All the nations gather together, the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. And then the Lord tells His people, You are my witnesses. You who have experienced my redemption, you who have experienced my presence are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there is no strange God among you. Again, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God also, henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? What are we to witness to? We are witnesses to what God has said and done in our own lives. We are witnesses to what God has done through the gospel. There are two things specifically that we are to proclaim, and we've already seen them. We are to tell others to fear not because the Lord is the Redeemer. And secondly, to fear not because he will be with his people. So we are witnesses to the Lord's redemption. As witnesses to his redemption, we don't just tell people the gospel. Yes, we do that. We must do that. We can never stop doing that. But our lives must be in accord with the gospel. See, we should reflect that we are saved, that we are being redeemed, that we are being sanctified and made whole. Our lives should reflect that we are transformed by the gospel. It is not enough to just tell someone that Jesus died for your sins because we, our lives better look like Jesus died for our sins. So we don't just tell others the good news, as paramount as that is, but our lives are to be lived in accord with the good news. We don't just seek conversions, we seek to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. It's not enough just to make sentiments, statements or sign petitions or what, what the world calls virtue signaling. That's not enough. Our lives need to be lived out forms of protest. Our lives need to be forms of statement of change. Our lives need to be declarations of hope. Our lives must reflect 
the Lord's saving work, the Lord's promise of his presence. I love how David Polison describes us as we, as far as if Christ should be redemptive troublemakers. What that means is that our lives should redemptively cause some trouble in this wicked and crooked world for God's glory and for the good of others. Is your life proclaiming the gospel with your mouth? Are you living in accord with the gospel? Are you creating redemptive trouble in your life? Or are you hiding the light under a bushel? See, it is not an either or, it is a both and. Yes, the gospel must be proclaimed. This is essential and we must never lose it. But our lives must also be lived in accord with this gospel. We cannot proclaim a wonderful gospel and live as if this gospel has no impact. See, the gospel has implications. Those implications are holiness, justice, righteousness, and on and on and on. Those implications are what we live out. Paul, in Romans 1-11, through lays out the beauty of the gospel. And then we arrive at chapter 12, and Paul says, Therefore I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us, we are to offer up our lives as a fragrant, beautiful, and powerful sacrifice. The Lord redeems people from every tribe and language and people and nation. We are to, with one voice, sing the Lord's praises. To proclaim the good news. To love God and others with our entire being. This is our spiritual act of worship as followers of Christ. We long, our prayer is this, Father, on earth as it is in heaven, may we be a church that reflects God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven secondly we are not just to proclaim and be bear witness to the lord's redemption we are to bear witness to the lord's presence if god is with us and if god is for us then what is there to fear before jesus left this earth he offered another command wrapped in a promise matthew 28 18 to 20 we know this well And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here's the promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we go, Jesus is with us. We are his witnesses. This is part of our identity as followers of Christ. It is who we are. It is not just what we do. It is who we are. Our identity is an identity of being a witness because we are redeemed, because the Lord is with us. He is with us as we witness. That very presence is the one thing we bear witness to. God just hasn't just redeemed us and stepped aside. He has redeemed us, brought us into his family, seated us in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. He has sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit. Our God is and always will be Emmanuel, God with us. So as we bear witness to the Lord's presence, it happens, though, in the context of pain and suffering, and hardship. 
We live in the midst of what Paul says in Philippians 2, a crooked and twisted generation. This plays out painfully, even brutally, every day in the news. But it is exactly in this context where we, as followers of Christ, are to live as innocent children of God without blemish. We don't bury our head in the sand longing for Jesus to return. Instead, we hold our heads up high. We raise our voices. We get busy seeking to do good. We become redemptive troublemakers. We seek to redeem the time because the days are evil. We seek to live lives that are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, it is in these dark moments where our joy in Christ shines radiantly. We do this by holding fast to the word of life. We do this by being faithful witnesses to the Lord's saving redemption and covenant presence. We do this by loving God and loving others. And we do this without fear. Why? Because the Lord is our Redeemer. The Lord, our God, is with us. Our focus this morning has been on this. That the comfort of God's redemption gives us freedom from fear. See, our redemption is comfort because it says that we are God's. Presence is comfort because it says that our God is with us. These are not just bare theological statements. They are declarations of our identity. They declare who we are and they declare who is for us. We are God's people because He has redeemed us. We are God's because He is with us. So brothers and sisters, do you know this morning who you are? Do you know this morning whose you are? Do you know that He is with you? Believe that God is your Redeemer. Believe that He is with you. Beloved, fear not for the Lord our God is your Redeemer. Fear not for He is with you. Our Father, help us this morning to have freedom from all fear. May we not just intellectually grasp Your redemption and Your presence, but may we truly experience it. May our faith be experiential. Take what is in our heads and implant it deep into our hearts. Help us to live in accord with our theology. Help us to live as if the God of the universe has truly redeemed us. Help us to live as if You, God, are with us in Christ by your Spirit and Holy Spirit, we ask you, we beg of you to be present among us. Comfort us, convict us, we pray. Help us to know that you have redeemed us, that we are precious in your sight, that we are honored, that we are loved, that we are cherished by you. And help us to know that as we walk through the stormy waters, as we go through the raging friars, we will not be burned, we will not be overwhelmed, because you, O oh God, are God are with us, our Redeemer, Emmanuel. And it's in the great and glorious and ever-present, redeeming name of Jesus we pray. Amen.